0: All right, with that, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Acts. We're going to actually be at the end of Acts 21. That's where we're going to start today. And, you know, I alluded to it earlier just during worship, what we're looking at today. It's a section where we see Paul, the apostle. He is going to be preaching the message of, the message of salvation to the very people that were just trying to kill him. (laughs) And I don't know about you guys, but to me, that's like a mind-blowing level of love that like he's not cursing his enemy, but he's loving his enemy by giving them the gospel message of salvation. (laughs) How many times we would rather see justice from the Lord be poured out on people in our flesh? We're like, oh Lord, they're going to get it, right? Man, we have the gospel. (laughs) The the Holy Spirit in us, the desire is that all men would call upon the name of Jesus Christ, amen? And what we get to do is we take that gospel, we don't change it, we don't manipulate it, we take the gospel of Jesus Christ, that every man, because they have sinned, has fallen short of the glory of God. And because we are sinners, you and I, sorry to tell you this morning, welcome to church, you're sinners, just like me, we have sinned. (laughs) But Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the righteous one, the just one, the Son of God, came and he died upon the cross to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But we're told the only way that that grants you salvation is you must believe that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. If you confess this with your mouth, if you believe this in your heart, you are saved, amen? This is the message that we have and if people don't hear it, it doesn't matter how much church you go to. It doesn't matter how many times you get water baptized. It doesn't matter how many men's studies or men's events you go to or women's studies, whatever. You need to understand, apart from putting your trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. And this is the gospel message that Paul knows. And you know why he knows it? Because he was saved by it, amen? You know this message because I'm assuming you've been saved by that gospel and if you've been saved you go man why would i hold this back from anybody but can i tell you why sometimes we hold it back i think fear i think the idea that man there's gonna be consequences if i if i just speak this man i'm gonna be isolated i'm gonna be you know rejected remember jesus said if they hated me they're gonna hate you But here's the deal. The goal is not to go out to be hated, amen? I hope we understand. Just not go out and be jerks and be like, hey, I'm getting hated because Jesus got hated. That's not not how this works, right? There's a reality that a very dark world hates light. Jesus said in John 3.19, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Because why? Because their deeds are evil. And see, when people feel conviction, what they want to do is they want to kill the voice of the Lord. They want to reject it as much as possible. And that was, was exactly what was happening to Paul last week when we were in Acts 21. So we're going to begin at Acts 21, 37. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. We're going to begin with this scene here. Look at 37 through 40. It says, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant or mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. So I have to tell you, right? And if we jumped into this in verse 37, you had no context from last week. You're like, why is Paul about to be led into some barracks, right? We talked about the Antonia Fortress. It was that spot where at the temple, it was adjoined to the temple. The Roman soldiers would be stationed there. They made sure if there was insurrection or a riot or anything like that, they could send down their troops quickly. And last week, there was a riot. Because people had made false accusations against Paul. The Jews that were there celebrating Pentecost, they saw that Paul was in town. They don't like Paul, because Paul goes about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's offensive to our ritualism, to our religion, to our good works, our moral, and the Jewish heritage in that sense, right? We understand why they're angry. You're telling me that the law can't save me? That I can't do this? You're telling me I need to submit to Jesus Christ the one that was crucified and they're offended so they see Paul and they say that guy has broken every rule he hates the Jews they say he hates the temple he hates the law and he brought Greeks in with him and defiled the place remember when they said that that was an offense you couldn't take a Greek past the court of the Gentiles even if you were a Roman citizen and did that it was posted everywhere we will kill you for that because it will create a riot it will create insurrection people will be angry so rome comes down because they hear everyone screaming because they all get taken away with these false accusations against paul and i just love it as this is happening they're pulling him up the steps to take him away because they're calling for him to be executed and paul says hey can i speak to you and the, the guy leading him says wait a minute you speak greek see greek was first of all most jews did not speak greek they spoke aramaic And for Paul to speak Greek, it means a couple of things. First of all, it means he's educated. You had to be educated if you knew Greek. But can I tell you secondly what it meant to this command of this person that's leading him? He says, wait a minute, you speak Greek. I thought you were an Egyptian terrorist that led 400 assassins into the wilderness, right? He's like, Paul's like, "What? what? This is a cool story. Tell me more about me. This is fascinating. This is a rumor, right? He's like, no, I speak Greek. An Egyptian person doesn't speak Greek. In this man's eyes, he's like, wait a minute, I thought you were some, like, wild savage, and now here you are as an educated man, and you're telling me, like, what's the story here? We may look at that and go, what a weird assumption that he would say, aren't you the guy that was an Egyptian, like, insurrectionist that led people? The Jewish historian, a guy named Josephus, you guys ever heard of him? He wrote so many cool, just details that kind of parallel with the Bible in the sense that they're historical facts, right? Not the inerrant word of God, but good historical facts. And he said that in, I want to get the right year, it's 54 AD. There was a man, an Egyptian man, who came and he rallied up a whole army and he said, I'm a prophet and when I speak the word, the walls of Jerusalem will fall and we'll destroy everyone. And so he rallied the troops and when he got there turned out to be a false prophet and rome basically slaughtered his whole army and so but he escaped well his goal was to destroy israel right so someone in the crowd goes hey this is the guy that hates israel and through a game of telephone someone goes hey this is the egyptian guy that ran off we got to kill him you see how rumors go right The first false accusation was he just brought someone in the temple that was Greek. Now he's an Egyptian guy that had 400 assassins on his side. (laughs) I just think that's so funny. We do the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Amen. And so in this section, he says, no, I love Paul. Paul's like, what? I'm a Jew. (laughs) I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. And I'm a citizen of no insignificant city. He says, I implore you, let me speak to the people. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, I'm a citizen. I'm a Jewish citizen. I have a right to be in the temple. And they're chasing me out and they're trying to kill me. That's the first thing. I'm not some Egyptian terrorist. (laughs) But also, in this section here, he says, I'm also from like a city that's educated. I'm not this crazy maniac. Can you just give me a chance to talk to the people? That word implore can be translated as "beg." Paul is begging for the opportunity to preach the gospel, the message of salvation to the people that just said, away with him, crucify him, <laughs> kill him. It was the same thing that they said about, about Jesus in John, I believe it was John 15. Look at at the end of Jesus' life, what did they say? They said, away with him, crucify him. When they said away with Paul, it didn't mean just get him out of our sight, it meant kill him, get him off the earth. And Paul says, you know what I'm going to do in response to this? This is very important. He doesn't call on his Roman citizenship. Do you know that Paul had Roman citizenship and this whole thing would get him into a way more comfortable position if he just said, hey guys, I'm a Roman. I don't deserve this kind of treatment here. You should be protecting me. He could have easily found a comfortable place to go to and he had the right to do so. But instead, what does he claim to be? A Jewish citizen. He says, I want to claim to be a Jew right here. That way I have the opportunity to speak to my people because I desire that they would be saved. (laughs) Can I be clear? There are times when we have the right to just get out and go, hey, I don't want to do this, right? But the Lord has called us and put us in a season of trial, of tribulation, of attack so that we would glorify God by preaching the gospel, amen? And so in this section, it's funny, it reminds me of Romans 9.3. It's a really wild verse. Paul says... I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren speaking of the Jews my countrymen according to the flesh I've never prayed or suggested that I would lose like eternity with the Lord for the sake of someone else if Paul is speaking I believe Paul knows that's not possible a man can't sacrifice himself for someone else amen it has to be Jesus Christ alone but Paul says if there was a way that I could just get my fellow countrymen to understand the gospel I would do it That is commitment to preaching the gospel, right? Paul is facing like literal murder in front of him. And he says, man, I'm going to try to witness to these people. That's bold, right? Look at 22, chapter 22, verse 1 through 5. It says, he began speaking. He said, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our fathers law and was zealous towards God as you all are today I persecuted this way speaking of Christianity to the death Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, to Jerusalem to be punished. So what Paul does, first of all, I love how he greets them. He says, brethren and fathers... He doesn't say, hey, you morons. (laughs) I mean, that's our flesh, right? Like, oh, you guys are so stubborn. You guys are thick-headed, right? No, he says, brethren and fathers. You know who else began their message to the Jews like this in the face of persecution was Stephen the martyr in Acts 7. The same heart. Though you're trying to reject and silence the voice of the gospel, I am going to preach it to you. Though you reject me, I am telling you right now that we are fellow countrymen, that we are fellow sinners, and you need this gospel. But in this message, what Paul's doing, he's building a bridge with them. He's saying, you guys are Jews. We have the same heritage, the same nation, the same fathers of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? We have this heritage. He says, guys, I'm speaking to you here, and he's saying, I am a Jewish citizen, He's speaking in Hebrew. Remember, the charge was that Paul was very anti-Semitic, that he was anti-Jew, right? Here's Paul. He begins speaking in their language. And he says, you guys are my brothers. And remember, where was Paul at when this all happened? He's at the temple. That's a very Jewish place to be, amen? And he's standing and goes, guys, I'm, I'm here. And yes, I was born in Tarsus. But can I tell you, I was raised in the city of Jerusalem i'm from the streets no that's not what he's saying he's saying i was i if you guys think you're so fancy because you're from jerusalem i spent my time here and i was with gamilia gamilia was one of the most important rabbis in jewish history and he says i sat at his feet and he taught me everything there is to know about zeal and he says as a matter of fact he says in verse three i was very zealous just like all you guys <laughs> what another bridge right he goes i was just like you I was so zealous for the law, for all these things. But then he says in verse 4, it's kind of funny. He says, but what I did, I successfully killed the people that stood for the gospel. You guys haven't even done that to me. I'm more zealous than you. (laughs) I actually went out and I was arresting men and women. I was dragging them with papers from the leaders of our people. You want to talk about zeal against the way of Jesus Christ? I had it. He says, remember, Paul called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? In Philippians 3.5. Anyone that would say Paul doesn't, he's not a Jew, man. Are you serious? Look at his track record. (laughs) He was a member of the Sanhedrin, we believe, right? He was part of that council that led the people. He held the jackets of the people that were stoning Stephen in Acts 7. And he says, I'm more zealous than, I was more zealous than you are. And why is he doing this? Why is he setting this up? Because I believe he wants to show them something. Remember in Philippians 3.7, Paul reflects on all the things he used to be, that Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, all these different things. And he says, those things that were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. And in verse 3.8, he uses the word rubbish. In Philippians 3.8, that word rubbish can mean dung, manure. He says, everything I used to do before Christ, it was manure. <laughs> And see, what he's doing is saying, you guys have this zeal. I see it. I know it. Can I tell you? I'm going to tell you about something much greater than all of your works, than all of your ritualism, than all of your heritage, your church going, checking the box on all of these man-made laws that you've created. He says, I'm, it's, he's setting them up to reveal to them something important. So in verse 6, he begins reflecting upon his conversion when he encountered Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 of Acts 22. It says, Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. (laughs) We read about this in Acts chapter 9, right? We read it in depth, the actual moment where Paul, Saul, is going out. He's wreaking havoc upon the church, it says in Acts 8.3. In Acts 9.1, it says that he was breathing threats against the church of the Lord, right? Against the gospel, against the way of Jesus Christ. The idea is he's breathing threats. Think about that statement. The very air in his lungs, everything is committed to the work of fighting Jesus Christ as Lord. And he's going to Damascus with papers in his hands. He says, I'm going to go because I am fighting Christianity in the name of the God of Israel. Remember, the Hebrew Hebrews. He says, this is a cult that is starting over here. They believe upon Jesus. They're trying to say they're they're part, they're a branch of what we do. Absolutely not. I'm going to punish them for this. And as he goes to Damascus, it said it was about noon. That's an important detail. The brightest time of day, in the middle of a desert, (laughs) this light comes upon him. And that's to put it mildly. If we hit the spotlights, I should, if I was dramatic, I would have hit the spotlights right there, right? We're not that guy though. So the reality is much brighter than any spotlight or light we think of. Think of the Shekinah glory of God. That incredible glory that filled the temple when it was committed and consecrated under the Lord in 1 Kings 8. The reality that, man, you couldn't even work because of all the, the, the glory of God that was there. We talked about Isaiah's vision in the temple a few weeks ago, right? This glory. Paul has studied the glory of God in theory, in, in words, but now he's encountering it in real life. <laughs> and when it hits him, all he can do is cower on the ground. He says, he's laying there, he fell to the ground, and there's this voice, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It knows his name. <laughs> can I tell you this morning, there is a God in heaven who knows your name? And he desires that you would stop doing the things that you believe are for your own good and for your sake and surrender to him. He says, why are you persecuting me? Can I tell you what he's saying? He's saying, why are you doing the very opposite of what I created you to do? You're persecuting me. You're made to go and take this gospel out, amen? I don't know about you guys, but I remember the moment where I realized I was wrong about Jesus Christ. And we all can relate to this if we 've come to Jesus, right? It may not have been on the road to Damascus, so to speak, literally. I doubt any of us got saved on the road to Damascus literally, so I can assume that. <laughs> but you know, spiritually, you are somewhere, and you said, i 'm going to do this thing. I am going to continue to do this. And at some point, the Lord in His goodness, man, He met you where you were, Amen. And he said, "Why are you doing this?" And I just love what Saul 's response is in that moment, what Paul said. He said, "Who are you, Lord?" <laughs> what a sad statement! A guy that was a the, the Pharisee, the, studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He did not truly know who the Lord was. Can I tell you my prayer for this church is that we wouldn't show up and come every Sunday and go, "Cool, I know the Scriptures, I memorize the verse," but we don't actually know who the Lord is. The heart should be that we leave here in a closer, blessed relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us through the power of His Spirit. Amen? And in this case, He says, Who are you? He knows who He is in that moment though because He can't deny the radiance of the glory. He says, Okay, you know my name. There's glory everywhere. I am, I am beat here. Who are you? And that response is, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. You have to remember that Paul was on the scene when Jesus was walking around the earth, Right? Paul was on the scene. They believe he may have been a member of the Sanhedrin that sentenced everything, that oversaw the Jewish trials. And he thinks, We killed Jesus. And now he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He's thinking, Wait, no, no, no. I'm persecuting this cult. I'm persecuting people. No, no, no. That's my church. And that's my bride. And that's me. The church belongs to Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit. Amen. And he says, you are persecuting me. You're fighting me. And he says, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> I love this. This is what we all realize. When we were wrong about Jesus and we realized who he was, that he was Lord, the first thing we say is, what do I do about that, right? Can I tell you? I remember I grew up in the church. My dad's back there. My dad was a worship leader at Calvary Chapel Pasadena in California for 40 years. I sat in so many Bible studies that I could speak Christianese when I wanted to, right? Right? I could call people bro and brother and totally feel like I was fitting in. I'd show up for basketball and then take off for the study, right? Because it was convicting. I didn't like that. And I went to Christian high school, Christian college. And when I came out of all that, I thought, oh man, I'm good because I'm saved by grace. And what I had was this cheap grace with relationship that wasn't really a relationship with God what I would do is I would continue to sin and say, oh, that's cool, man. This actually is somehow benefiting the kingdom because grace is covering these sins. How sick is that? Romans 6.2 literally says, don't do that. (laughs) It says, you have died to those things. Why are you continuing in them? If you have indeed become a follower of the light of the world, Jesus Christ, amen. But see, for me, it was all lip service. When I needed a savior, I'd call it the savior, but I definitely did not have a Lord. No one was telling me where to go and what to do. I'm, not, I'm in charge of me until I get myself in a situation. Now I need a Savior. Now I need grace. And I'd get out of that jam, and I'd go back to my ways. <laughs> Can I tell you at one point, though, a good friend of mine, Pastor Joe Tata from Pomona Valley, he told me, desperation is the beginning of worship. And I never really understood exactly what that meant until I started to consider my testimony. I thought about when I got truly, truly broken and desperate i realized man i need to really figure out what i'm doing here what am i going to worship what is worthy of my worship and i took that foundation of all the things that i had and i grabbed a bible that i had as a textbook from my bible college class and i pulled it out and i opened it up and i started reading it and it's so funny because i started reading job because i thought that god that the lord was punishing me it was just my sin it was consequences of sin but then, I'm like, I don't know, what do I do with this? I got invited to start playing on the worship team at the church and they were like, why aren't you sitting in the studies when you play worship? I'm like, I guess I'll sit in the studies. And I thought for sure my dad had called the pastor before I got there because he's saying everything that I'm doing. How do, is there someone spying on me. There's no way that this pastor is not talking directly to me. And at some point, the Lord said, how do you think this is happening every week? Even when you're not at church, you're hearing these things as you engage in those activities. You know that that message of the gospel is true, and I'll tell you at some point, the end of 2008, December 2008, I submitted to the Lord, and I just remember going, "Man, this is a whole new life." Amen. I share that testimony with you this morning, not for, obviously not for my glory. That's a terrible testimony. I was a wicked dude. Can I tell you who gets the glory? The Lord Jesus gets the glory. Amen. And when we submit to the Lord, he calls us to do things we never imagined we'd be doing. If anyone should not have been planting a church, it would be this guy, right? But the Lord's so good to cleanse, to redeem, to save, to restore. And he wants to do that for everyone. Paul says, I'm gonna tell you about my testimony. Not because the testimony is what saves you. Hearing this will help you understand that there is a God who wants to do the same for you, amen? Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10:17 tells us that. You can tell your testimony over and over, but until you tell people, you need the same for your life. You need to put your trust in the way, the truth, and the life, of Jesus Christ. It's really not a useful testimony. Use it for the glory of God, amen. Look at what happens as he continues in verse 12. He says, Then A certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one or righteous one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. (laughs) So if you saw at the end of verse 10, when, when he says, what do I do, Lord? He says, go into Damascus and I'll give you instruction. You seek me, I will give you step-by-step instruction. He says, go to Damascus. It said the light was so bright that it blinded him, physically blinded him. And that big bad Saul that went in with his papers in his hand to arrest people is now being led by the hand like a little child by the people that came with him. <laughs> Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus said in Luke 14, 11. And in this case, Paul is absolutely humbled. He's led into Damascus. And this guy named Ananias, he says, go find this guy, Ananias. We see the whole other side in Acts 9 where Ananias is praying. And the Lord tells him, hey, go find Saul. And he's like, no, dude, that guy's the murderer. <laughs> he kills people like me. I don't want to go find him. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, go, you have to go. Because he's going to stand before kings, before Gentiles, before the children of Israel. And he is going to be a witness He is going to testify. He's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. And so here we don't get that background, but we know this, that Paul says, hey, there's this guy that I went and saw. He's telling all the Jews this, right? He says, Ananias, who was, he says in verse, I believe it's in verse 12, he says, he was a devout man according to the law. That means that he was an honorable Jew, right? An obedient Jew. It says that he had a good testimony with all the Jews. So here's this very Jewish man, Ananias, coming to meet a blind Pharisee who has encountered Jesus. And he comes and says, hey, the same Lord, the God of our fathers, that's a reference to the God of Israel, says he has sent me to give you sight. This obedient Jew is telling Paul the will of the God of Israel is for you to know Jesus Christ and to serve him. What a huge message to a a rally, a riot of Jews that say, how dare you call us to trust in Jesus? He's saying, this is the message of the very God you say you serve. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. Are you guys getting what he's doing here? He's building up. He says, I'm very Jewish. I hang out with very Jewish people. And the Lord has continued to reveal that what he wants to do is to reveal Jesus Christ to the masses. But notice what Paul said he was instructed by Ananias to do. Ananias said in verse 16, he said, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. Wash away your sins by calling on the name of the Lord. That's the message of salvation, right? That you need to stop trusting in your zealousness, your zeal for the law, Paul. You need to stop trusting in your prestige, your position, your power, your name, your citizenship. You need to stop that. And you need to realize there's nothing that will save you. There's nothing that will cleanse you besides the blood of Jesus Christ. You must call on the name of the Lord. And Paul's telling these guys who he just told, man, I was more zealous than you. I was the guy that did all of the things according to law. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and guess who still needed to call on the name of the Lord? Jesus. What this is telling us is that no amount of church by itself will save you. No amount of good works will save you. No amount of memberships or baptisms or uh, catechisms, whatever you want to call it, those things alone, those helpful things in the Lord, amen, those things alone will not save you. Your legalistic keeping of the law, your self-righteousness, it won't save you. As a matter of fact, those things just condemn you even further, right? Imagine how much accountability Paul would have had before the Lord if he doesn't trust in Jesus Christ. He studied the word at the feet of the best rabbi and had he rejected it, he would be even more accountable. Luke 12, 48 tells us that. To whoever much is given, much is required. To whoever much has been committed, they will ask the more of him. This is why James says in James 3one do don't let many people become teachers because there's a stricter judgment. That's a terrifying verse for me, right? You guys hear this once on Sunday. I've studied this text like 11 times this week, right? Broken down. I'm 11 times more accountable to walk according to it. That's scary. I hope you guys understand. It's like, that's why we still get butterflies coming up on stage like, oh, Lord. (laughs) We're handling your word. But Paul said what the blessed thing is, if I just trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ, I call upon his name. He wrote in Romans 10, 13, Paul wrote, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care your economic level, your race, your ethnicity, whatever that thing is, wherever you're from, whatever you thought was your righteousness, it is not. Jesus Christ alone is your righteousness before the Father. We have an advocate with the Father, we're told in 1 John 2, 1. And he, Jesus Christ, is the only righteous one. As Ananias said here, the just one. You've seen the just, righteous one. Jesus, you need to go tell everyone what you've seen and heard about him. Amen? This should be our life in the Lord. And so in verse 17, look what happened 17 through 21. It says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I am prisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. But then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So this is still Paul talking to the same crowd. So far he said, hey, I'm a Jew just like you right said. So then i met jesus christ I encountered jesus christ another good jew told me hey you got to trust in the lord you got to call on his name and he says when i returned to jerusalem that's a big statement because we're told in galatians 1:18 that paul spent some three years in arabia remember he says i didn't get this from flesh and blood i got this from the lord he says in galatians 1:12, he was instructed by the lord according to that text and he spent time there So he's not a new believer in the sense that he just came to the Lord yesterday and he shows back up into Jerusalem. There's been three years' time. Does that make sense? Three years he's growing the Lord and where is he at when he has this trance? He's at the temple. This should show that you can be a good Jewish boy but have completed faith in Jesus Christ, amen? See, here's the deal. There's a group called the the Jews for Jesus. I don't know if you guys ever heard from them. They they call themselves completed Jews. They keep the heritage and tradition of the Jewish law from the word and the practices, but they use it to glorify God. They aren't sacrificing animals for their salvation, because Hebrews 10.10 tells us that's done, right? But they honor the Lord with the very practices of their heritage. Does that make sense? That's what Paul was doing. He says, I'm a Jewish guy. This is my background. I'm going to go to the temple... I'm going to pray with my faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And while he's there, this is crazy to me, Paul said he had a trance. Have you guys ever heard this story before? Like, this is crazy. Paul doesn't write about this anywhere else in Scripture. I don't know about you, but I think about, like, all the people that go on, like, Oprah's show back in the day when they die and get resuscitated, and like, I went to heaven, and here's what I saw, here's what I heard, and they write books and make movies about it and make all kinds of money, and then usually it comes out it wasn't true anyways. In Paul's case, he hasn't mentioned it for 25 years that we have record of before here. And he doesn't mention it again in Scripture. And see, the word trance is the same word that's in Acts 10.10 when Peter was super hungry up on the rooftop, right? And that vision of the sheet came down with all of the animals, the unclean animals. And the Lord said, rise, kill, and eat. And remember what the message was. It was, hey, don't call anything unclean that I have cleansed. Well, now Paul's in the temple. He's praying in Jerusalem, and the Lord gives him this trance thing. Again, it's, it's a vision. He sees the Lord. Can I tell you, I think, why Paul doesn't mention it anywhere else? Because we don't teach on dreams and visions. We teach on the Word of God. <laughs> but sometimes we cross the Word of God and go, hey, the Lord did this cool thing one time. Let me share that with you. Let me support it a little bit with my own experience. But Paul knows that no one's going to get saved if he just teaches about his dream and vision. Amen? He needs to teach the Word of God, but he supports it with his life, with the things that he's experienced. And In this case, he tells him, I had this vision, and what did the Lord tell him? He said, get out of Jerusalem, because they're not going to receive your testimony of me. Paul's like, whoa, I'm, this is my place. This is my stomping grounds. I was raised at Gamaliel's feet. If, if I'm going anywhere, it's going to be here. Lord, I know better than you. That's kind of what's happening here, right? <laughs> He says, no, 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 no. Like, these people are going to see how much I hated Christianity, and now they're going to see that I, the Jewish guy, love Jesus Christ, and they'll want to follow my lead. And the Lord just, I love how the Lord answers him. The Lord doesn't argue back. He's like, depart. Go. And what are we talking about? I've told you, I'm the Lord. Go. And this, again, it shows us the heart, just as he wrote in Romans 9, he loved his fellow countrymen. He desired that those people around him would come to the Lord. We see it here as he's preaching to them after they tried to kill him. But it's funny because in his rationality, he said, I'm the perfect instrument for this. But the Lord says, no, I don't think you are. You know why? (laughs) Anytime we think that in our own strength, in our own intellect, in our own ways, we're strong enough, the Lord's going to find a way to just humble us Sometimes just by taking us to a whole new place where we know nobody, I've kind of lived this recently, you get moved from California to Texas, you don't know anyone, you drive here past the airport, from the airport to my house, I'm passing 50 churches that are ginormous churches, right? I'm like, Lord, you've called me to plant a church where there's, to, to church the church it looks like. And then you get here and you're like, Lord, I just don't know, I don't know, I've never done this before. And you know what the Lord does? He goes, this is so Perfect. Now you'll just obey me. You'll stop trusting in your past heritage, your prestige, your pedigree, your, all these things that you think are so cute and important. The Lord says, you're going to lay those down. I'll give you opportunities. We see it. He's going to get opportunities, amen? But mostly, he gets sent to the Gentiles. And who does the Lord use to minister to the Jews more? A fisherman named Peter. A guy that was uneducated who's like, dude, I'm going to go talk to these people that have studied the Word their whole life. I don't know anything about this. I can relate to Peter on these things. And it's like, man, some of these people have gone to Bible college. Oh my gosh, they're going like, to call me out if I'm wrong on the smallest thing. And the Lord's like, well, just trust in me. Study. Present yourself prepared. Amen. You don't want to go up there sloppy. <laughs> Study the Word. We see a change in Peter after the filling of the Holy Spirit as a leader of the church that is so miraculous and awesome that only the Lord can get the glory. Amen. And for Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews to say, okay, I'm going to go to Gentiles now, the very people I thought existed to stoke the flames of hell. I'm going to go preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's only the Lord can change our hearts like that, right? The people we used to hate become people we desire to save. And that's, there's no explanation. It used to be about me, myself, and I and my flesh. You come to the Lord and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's assumed that you love yourself already in that statement, by the way. You love yourself plenty. Go love your neighbor like that. But love the Lord your God. That's the first thing. If you don't love the Lord rightly, all these good works are are nothing. But when you love the Lord your God rightly through the work of Jesus Christ, you go out and people, man, go, that's only, that has to be the Lord, amen? And so in this whole section here, as he's recalling this, he says, the Lord told me, depart. I'm going to send you far from here to the Gentiles. Look what happens in verse 22 to 24. It says, And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So you have Paul speaking in Aramaic to the Jews and he's talking to them and he tells them, and what the God of Israel, when he sent the Lord Jesus to talk to me, what he said is depart and take the message of salvation to the Gentiles. (laughs) That word right there, that the God of Israel desired to save the Gentiles just the same as the Jew, it ignited absolute eruption. They said, how dare you talk about all those unschooled, untrained, heathen Gentiles that God would include them in their plan. They start tearing their clothes. They start throwing dust. Those are signs, expressions of anger, right? They're throwing dust in the air. Supposedly that meant this is what we want to do to your body. We want you to just go up into dust in the air. And they said, we want to kill you. Away with him. And can I tell you what's happening here? One, they're mad that the God of Israel would include this message to go to the Gentiles, but this was prophesied in Isaiah, right? Isaiah 45, says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will also give you as a light, speaking of the Messiah, I will give you as a light to be my salvation to the Gentiles. But they didn't like that. They believed, well, if you're a Gentile, here's how you can come in. You got to become a Jew. You got to come under the law if you want to be saved. And this is what we saw with the Judaizers in the book of Galatians, right? They said, no, Paul only preached you a partial gospel. That's great, you got Jesus, but you got to become a Jew and practice the law. Paul said, absolutely not. That's not how this works. Faith in Christ alone saves, amen? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. If grace is the water, faith is the hose that gets you that saving grace. You must put your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. They don't like this because here's the offense. We've kept the law. We've been zealous for the law. And you're telling me that people that haven't done that just get to waltz right into heaven? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They don't need to keep the Jewish law. That's why they hated Paul. What are we going to do about all of our power, all our prestige that we're so proud of? Get over it, Paul would say. Count it as rubbish. That's what I do. I'm now a bondservant to Jesus Christ. Now the Lord uses all those past experiences in education. Praise the Lord for that. But now, it's not about those. Those aren't the things that save. The Lord will use those things to draw others into him. But in that moment, they're just greatly offended. They freak out. They start screaming. Can I tell you? I believe in this moment, they're continuing to seal the very fate that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 23, 37 to 39. What Jesus said, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And see, the people continued to fight Jesus. Did you pick up on this? He said, I desired. He says, what was it? He says, I wanted to gather your children together. But you were not willing. That's a startling statement to me. Jesus desires. He says, come to me. But you won't. He says, you're not going to call me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a reference, I believe, to Zechariah 12.10. When the Lord Jesus comes to deliver Jacob, Israel, away from their ungodliness, away from their transgression, away from the oppression of the world's empire at that time, and Jesus shows up it says, they will look upon the one they pierced as if it was their son, as their only son. And see, Jesus says, you're rejecting me. As a whole, generally speaking, the Jewish nation had rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Lord and Savior. And he says, this is going to be the case until I return. It doesn't mean that no Jews are saved. We understand that. We talked about that earlier. There's a whole ministry of millions of Jewish people that have come to the Lord in faith in Jesus Christ. But as a whole, as a nation, the Lord will return. He will fulfill Zechariah 12.10. But here's the deal in verse 24. The Roman soldier, he's looking at this whole thing. He's like, what just happened? Because they're speaking Aramaic, right? Everyone's been silent. Well, Paul's talking. You're like, okay, he's a good Jew. Okay, tell us more about Jewishness. Okay, yeah. Gentiles, what? And they start like freaking out. They're screaming. The Roman guy's like, what is happening right now? So he takes Paul and says, we're going in here. So now I don't know what's happening. And it says that they set him up for a scourging. Scourgings were Brutal. A Roman scourging involved a whip that had like a bone and metal in it. So they would rip your back open. You'd have to give out confessions of, of crimes against Rome. And they would continue until they got the confession out of you. And so look what happens. This is where we end today, 25 through 30. It says, once I find my verse. Okay. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? That's a record scratch right there. So they say, when, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man's a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained the citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him, they withdrew, they scattered from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. That's where we're going to end the text today. But can I tell you what happens here? This is where Paul finally uses his Roman citizenship. I think it's a smart play by Paul, right? He's not a martyr for the sake of being a martyr. He says, look, at first I told you I'm a Jew. And that's right, he had dual citizenship. He says, I'm a Jew. These are my people. Let me talk to them. He speaks them in their language. They freak out. Rome's like, we got to figure this out. They're putting him in the thongs, it says. That's these leather bindings. They would put him around a wood pillar. They would tie up his hands so he's holding the wood pillar. His back is exposed. And they're getting ready to beat him. And he just says, hey is this like legal what you're doing because i'm a roman citizen like oh oh no (laughs) to just put a roman citizen in the leather thongs without due process was illegal all these guys are in trouble they're all gonna and potentially grave trouble for what they're doing here so the first guy's like oh man i'm gonna run and tell the, the commander right he goes this guy's saying he's a he's a roman citizen And see, this is important because you didn't lie about these things because it carried a death sentence if you lied about being a Roman citizen. So you don't just throw that around. He comes to him and the commander says, hey, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. I paid good money for this. See, there was uh, Emperor Claudius. He at one point was taking bribes for citizenship in the history of Rome. He would let people buy their way into citizenship. It sounds like that's pretty much how this guy got his citizenship. Paul says, well, that's great. I was born a Roman citizen. In other words, I'm even more legitimate than you and you just bound me. You're in big trouble, dude. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, dude, they all scatter. They're like, get out of here. Let's not let anyone know this happened. <laughs> it's funny because later, Claudius Lister, he's going to write a letter to send Paul up the chain. He doesn't mention anything about them binding him. They don't mention any of this. They're like, don't tell anybody. Let's just let this guy. And it says what happens. They, they let him, they release him from his bonds. And what they're setting up for chapter 23, they're going to bring Paul to the very group that he used to be a part of, the Sanhedrin. Paul desired to testify to the Jews. The Lord said, "No, you're not doing that. Go do my will." And what does the Lord end up doing? Kind of gives him the desires of his heart, not the way Paul had intended. Paul probably thought he'd walk into Jerusalem, walk out of Jerusalem. It's chains, tribulation, trial. Can I tell you whatever you're going through? The Lord has not lost sight of you. He wants to use the season for His glory. And praise the Lord for that. That's what we're made to do, amen? There are people here suffering so greatly today and it breaks my heart on an earthly level. But can I tell you that earthly trauma is usually connected with some kind of blessed spiritual thing happening that the Lord is doing when we're submitted to Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel says once you come to Jesus, you're just going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise forever. That's garbage. That is not biblical. Talk to Paul about the prosperity gospel. <laughs> Talk to Jesus about the prosperity gospel. Son of man had no place to lay his head. (laughs) But he submitted perfectly to the Father, and as he humbled to the Lord, he was exalted in the kingdom, amen? Paul is imitating Jesus Christ. He's telling everyone about the completed work of Jesus upon the cross and his resurrection. And he's calling everyone, you must trust and call on the name of the Lord. I pray that wherever we go, we would imitate Paul, amen? (laughs) Whatever season we go through, whatever trial, whatever success we have, that it would be a credit to the Lord. And that we would tell everyone, they too must call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We have a blessed opportunity this morning, just with a few minutes. We actually have communion set up in the back here. And so what we want to do as a body of believers, we just want to remember that completed work of Jesus Christ, amen? See, Jesus did this in Luke twenty-two, seventeen 17 to 20. It says, then Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And see, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of who? Of him, me, he said, right? There's a reality where, yes, we remember the sin, we remember the great price that Jesus paid to save us from our sins, amen? But can I tell you, sometimes we get in the trap of thinking, oh, this is like the mournful moment of the day. We want to take it worthily. We want to be worthy as we take it. Reflect upon your sin. It's a good thing. Do business with the Lord, amen? But can I tell you, Jesus said, I'm going to do this again with you in the kingdom. I love that. That my goal is, man, I can look forward. Yes, I look back to the cross of Jesus, but I look forward to being with Jesus because of the payment on the cross. There's no other thing that will promise you eternal life. Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, speaking of God the Father, he says, he has eternal life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. We remember that this morning as we partake. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray over the elements. You guys can go ahead and once we pray over it, you guys can go and uh, partake if you want to take it with your family. If you want to, you know, you do business with the Lord, we're going to lead some worship. And that's going to kind of conclude this morning's service. But let me pray and we'll partake.